something that you wish you could take back? I think we can all bring to mind something in our lives that, that draw to memory something that was painful or embarrassing, something that we wish never happened in our life. If we could go back in time, if we could take that moment back some way or another. I remember one particular moment in my life when I was about 12 or so. I remember my mom was making me do the dishes or something like that. And I told her, I said, I hate you. I oftentimes wish I could take that moment back. Again, I think all of us have have some point in our lives where we've done something, we've said something, we've hurt somebody, we've broken a relationship somehow, and we wish we could just get a second chance. Wish we could go back in time and replay that moment in time in our lives. Today we're going to be talking about a, a particular character, one of my favorite characters. His name is Elijah. I'm sure most of you have heard of him. Elijah is, is very important to the Bible, and one of the greatest stories that I think anyone will ever hear is this one that I'm about to tell you here. You see, at the time of Elijah, King Ahab uh, was, was ruler. He had just taken over, and he married a woman named Jezebel, Queen Jezebel. And Queen Jezebel had, uh, was a foreigner, so she brought in all the foreign gods at, at that time. She brought in... Uh, uh, Idols and worshippers, people who worshipped Baal, people who worshipped Asherah, and all these other foreign gods that the Israelites were not used to worshipping. But that was what was becoming prevalent at that time. And here walks in Elijah to the story. He's like out of some western. He just kind of strolls into the town. You, you don't know where he's coming from. You don't know what he's all about. He pops up and he walks into to uh, Ahab's court, and he says, it's not going to rain again until I say so, Ahab, walks out the door. And wow, I'm sure Ahab at first was like, okay, great, you know, whoever you are, you know, that's fine, you know, I don't care. And so Elijah vanishes, vanishes. he goes out to the desert, he uh, hooks up with a, a widow there and stays in her house for a, a little while. And so, uh, after a while, about three, a little over three years, wouldn't you know it, no rain has come to Israel. And at this time, Ahab's getting desperate. Ahab's getting very desperate. And so he's sending out messengers all over the kingdom trying to find Elijah because it was Elijah who said, it's not going to rain again, Ahab, until I say so. And so Ahab is going all over uh, the desert trying to find Elijah, but he can't. And so, as, as mysteriously as he popped into Ahab's life, he pops back in. He comes out of hiding there, and he meets one of Ahab's servants, Obadiah. And he meets him on the road. Obadiah has been sent by the king to go look for water. Ahab says, go look anywhere you can. Go find, you know, some muddy stream somewhere. We're, we're desperate for water. We need some kind of water. And so, Obadiah is out walking on the road, and poof, Elijah appears. And... He says to Obadiah, he says, Obadiah, it's, it's time. I want you to go tell King Ahab that I'm ready to speak with him. And Obadiah was like, are, are you sure? Because, man, you, you can't just pop in like this. Ahab's been looking for you for a while. He's going to be pretty angry with you when you see him. And Elijah said, yes, it's time. It's time for me to reveal myself to King Ahab. And so he goes before King Ahab, and I like what King Ahab says when he first sees him. He says, is that you, O troubler of Israel? 
And it's funny, it's ironic, because Ahab doesn't realize he's actually the troubler of Israel. He's the one that brought in these foreign gods. He's the one that brought upon God's wrath through this drought. And Elijah says, yes, it's me. You know what, Ahab? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to settle this once and for all. I know that you brought in all these foreign gods, but it's time to settle this. It's time to figure out who is the true God of Israel. And so Elijah proposes this. He says, I tell you what, you go get 450 prophets of your foreign god Baal. You go get them, round them up, and we're going to meet over here on this mountain. And here's what we're going to do. And so he gets them together. They meet on the mountain. Elijah says, okay, here we have two bulls. And you guys, 450 of you can have this bull. And I will take this bull over here. And here's what we're going to do. We're not going to light any fire to offer this sacrifice to our gods. We are going to let our respective gods, Baal in one corner, the true God in the other corner, light the offering for us. And so the prophets of Baal say, okay, yeah, you know, that, that sounds great. We can do that. There's 450 of us. Why not? Surely we can ask our God to light this fire for us. And so what do they do? They, they get to go first. So here they are. They're dancing around, dancing around the idol, the, uh, the altar there. And he's going around, going around. And, uh, you know, it's going on for about an hour or so. And Elijah starts to make fun of him, right? He's like, well, uh, keep calling louder. Maybe he's thinking or maybe he's off on a journey or, you know, maybe he's sleeping right now. You know, keep calling louder. You know, so he's mocking them at this point. They're going on and on and they're, they're getting more fervish there. The, the prophets there, all 450 of them, they start cutting themselves and, you know, trying to show their true conviction for their God. But nothing happens. And finally they give up. Maybe it was due to blood loss. I'm not sure. But they give up. After a while there. And so Elijah said, come closer. Come closer, all you people who are gathered here. Let me show you who the true God is. And so he puts the bull on the altar there. Puts the wood all around it. He said, I want you to go get some water. And they say, okay. He said, go get four jars full of water and pour it on the altar. They say, okay, sure. And so they go. They pour four jars full of water on this altar. He says, go a second time. So they pour four more jars of water on this altar. He said, go a third time. Once again, four more jars on this altar. And it said it was just a big mud pit at this point. If you can imagine, I mean, all this water's just there. It's just big and muddy and the bull's soaked and the water's is all over the ground, all over the sticks. You think, okay, it was going to be hard enough to light fire without, you know, breaking out a match. Now what are you going to do, Elijah? So Elijah prays to God. Elijah says, God, today I want you to show Israel who the true God is. Is. And it says at that moment, flames from heaven came down and lit the altar on fire. And it said it was so intense, it even licked up the water that was all over the ground there and all over the, bu- the bull and the wood there. And so this is, is a great victory for God that day. And so they round up all the prophets and they take them out and they, and they kill them there. And, and Elijah says, now Israel, you know who the true God is. And more so than that... Elijah says, Ahab, it's time. I hear the sound of rain coming. And so 
He sends his servant out. Elijah sends his servant and says, go out to the mountain, see if you see any clouds. And he says, and he goes out and he says, I, I don't see anything, Elijah. And he says, do it seven times. Let's, let's see if God's going to be bringing rain today. And then finally, the servant after the seven times says, I see a cloud the size of a man's fist out in the horizon there. And so that cloud turns into rain. And, and so he goes to Ahab and he says, Ahab, you better get back home because soon there's going to be a lot of rain coming. And Ahab was like, okay, sure, whatever. I mean, I, I just saw the fire come from heaven. Why shouldn't I believe you now, Elijah? And so Ahab gets in his chariot and he, he goes back to town there. And it says that Elijah was so filled with the Spirit that he ran back to the town and he beats Ahab on his chariot there. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing story. Stories don't get any better than that, right? You got this guy, this lone ranger out there who's fighting 450 people. And who wins? The lone ranger with God on his side. Biblical stories don't get much better than that. Am, Am I right? But as Paul Harvey would say, and now... The rest of the story. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to chapter, let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 if you have them. We're going to read about what happened to Elijah after this great victory, this historic day for God. Starting in verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel, the queen, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now let's stop right there. Elijah just took on 450 people. Can you imagine someone's making a threat in his life? I mean, I can see Elijah be like, whatever. I just took on 450 guys and now you are saying that you're going to, you're going to kill me. I got God on my side. Who else do I need? Who else do I need at this point? I, I can just imagine Elijah saying that to Jezebel. But what does he really say? Picking back up in verse three. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life. He came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself, when a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Can you believe this? Is this the same Elijah that we just heard about who took on these prophets, who showed all of Israel who the true God was? Is this the same Elijah that decides to get up and flee for his life? To run away when the going was getting good? When he had all the momentum? He had he just showed Israel the power of God. And he runs away. He runs for his life. And then he starts moping. He said, God... Just kill me, you know, just just take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors, you know. He, he knows he's done wrong. God, I, I've done you wrong. I know that I, I shouldn't have fled. I was scared. You know, I, I'm not worthy to be your servant. Let's keep reading here. 
Picking back in the middle of verse 5. Suddenly an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on a hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, to Horeb, the mount of God. And at that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. So, here goes Elijah. He's going on a journey. The angel comes and says, you know what, Elijah? you got some explaining to do. You need to go to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, another name uh, for Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. So Elijah knows that he's going to this place. He's, he's got some explaining to do of why he ran away. And so here he is. He's, he's going. He's at the mountain there. And let's see what happens. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, what are you doing here? Why, why aren't you back in Israel? Why aren't you fighting the good fight in my name? What are you doing here, Elijah, is what God is asking. Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. So Elijah comes up with a great excuse, right? He said, God, the reason why I ran is because I'm the only one. I'm the lone ranger in Israel here who's trying to stand up for you. And it's hard. It's hard for me to do it, God, by being the only one. And he's saying, I've tried. I've been zealous for you, but the going got tough and I ran away. Verse 11. He said, go out. God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after that wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Sounds like a typical Southern California day here going on. Bet you guys didn't know Mount Sinai is right over here next to Mount Wilson. What happens next? And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Can you imagine Elijah? Can you imagine meeting God the day or coming weeks after you had just made the biggest mistake of your life? You were on a roll, and then when when times got tough, you ran away. And so now you have to face God. Here you are, face to face with God. And you know you messed up. You know you messed up on behalf of God. And I think what Elijah was looking for here was some kind of punishment. I think what Elijah was expecting were these things. He was expecting the wrath of God to come in the form of fire. He was expecting the wrath of God to come in a powerful wind. He was expecting the wrath of God to come in a strong earthquake. But what happened? What did he get? A whisper. He got a whisper. Like a a calm parent when they're looking at their child who just made a mistake. And instead of blowing up, they whisper. They say, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
Elijah answers the same excuse. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. They are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him this. Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazazel, king over Aram. You shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shapheth, Abel Mahola, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes the sword of Hazazel, Jehu shall kill. Whoever shall escape the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all knees who have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth who has not kissed him. Not only was, I think, was Elijah expecting some kind of punishment here, I think Elijah was, was thinking that, that God was going to say, sorry, Elijah, you can no longer be my prophet. You blew it, Elijah. You blew it. You, you ran away. You know, we were, we were just getting going, and we were showing Israel who the true God was, and sorry, I, I need someone who's more dependable. Thanks. See you later. What happened? That's not what God did. God gave Elijah a second chance to still be his prophet. He said, Elijah, you're still my prophet, so I need you to go out there and go back. Go back to Israel. I want you to anoint these leaders to help fight the good fight on my behalf. And not only that, Elijah, because I know that excuse you said that you're the only one left. There's going to be 7,000 people who are not going to bow down to these false gods. There's going to be 7,000 people who are going to be behind you, Elijah. Don't worry about that. It's amazing. It's amazing that God was able to give Elijah this second chance in life. This second chance to still be his prophet. To still be his servant. And it's amazing that even today, Elijah is regarded as one of the most highly regarded prophets. uh, Even today, and especially in the gospel and it's amazing that he is so because here we get this we get this story about Elijah who made this huge mistake yet he's still highly regarded if you remember in the gospel when Jesus asked his disciples who do people say i am and what's the response well Jesus some people think that you're Elijah some people think that you're Elijah who's, who's come back that's that's pretty good not only that remember the transfiguration who appeared before Jesus Moses And Elijah appeared before Jesus. Who is this Elijah who made this huge mistake, who ran away, who ran away from God, who ran away from the work that he was called to do? Why is he still highly regarded? I think in the Bible we have stories, and, and we have stories in our own lives, where God has given us a second chance. God has given so many characters in this Bible. I'm just pulling one character to where we have been given a second chance. They have been given a second chance on life. And that's how they and we need to understand God. God is a God of second chances. I think today there's two kinds of people in this room. There's those of you who know you've been given a second chance. And there's those of you who, who do not know that you've been offered a second chance. And I want us to talk about that today. You might not know what I'm talking about, but let me, let me explain. What is the second chance that I'm talking about here? 
Well, it can be summed up in, in this, in one verse. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We are sinners, ladies and gentlemen. We are all sinners here in this room. And I don't know how often. I, I can't point to you and say, that person sins ten times a week, that person too. But each one of us in our own way, we have some form of sin that's in our lives out there. Because of that sin, we deserve death. The wages of sin is death. If you're going to sin, you have to pay the price. What is that price? Death. What is the second chance that God has given us? The gift of God. Eternal life. We don't have to die. We can have eternal life. We can live eternally. How is this possible? How is this possible that we don't have to pay for our sins? God gave us a second chance through His Son, Christ Jesus, who died on behalf of us, who died on the cross for our sins. We are able to take the second chance that's been offered to each and every one of us. It's so important that, that we understand that we need a second chance in life. Maybe some of you don't know that you even need a second chance. Maybe some of you don't know that the path that you're going down is leading the wrong way. The path that we need to go down leads to eternal life, eternal life with God. And again, this is possible only through God sending His Son, His perfect Son, His Son who never committed sin, to die on behalf of our sins. It's pretty amazing. If you have your Bibles, Paul sums it up again in, in Romans Romans 3 verse 21 Paul says it so well here he says this Romans 3:21 but now apart from the law the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe for there is no distinction since we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God they are now justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by His blood, effective through faith. He did this to show His righteousness, because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove that at the present time that He Himself is righteous and that He justifies the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Christ died for us, Paul's telling us here. Not only that, but now we are given grace. We are given a second chance. We are given redemption because of this sacrifice that God made for us. All those sins that we have committed, all those sins that we will even continue to make, if we believe that Christ died for those sins, if we believe that Christ is the Son of God who came to save us, we have a second chance. We have this second chance that God is talking about here. Some of you may or may not know Barry Meankow. I don't know if it rings a bell with any of you. Barry actually grew up here in Southern California. The reason why that name might be familiar with you is because Barry got in over his head. 
one time when he was uh, just a teenager, actually. You see, Barry started a company called Z-Best Carpet Cleaning Company. Maybe this is starting to ring some bells with you. Maybe not. He started a carpet cleaning company back in the 80s. And this carpet cleaning company was pretty much a, a scam. You see, what Barry was doing, he was basically recycling funds. He would attract investors to invest. He would offer an investment rate of 10%. You get uh, an investment rate of 10%. And what he would do, he'd collect those funds funds for those investors in order to pay back the investors that had already paid into it. So it's just a revolving scam where it just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. And so Barry, Minkow was doing this and he started this carpet cleaning company and what he was doing it, it was it was an actual carpet cleaning company but the part that he left out was he claimed that he was doing this restoration for this uh, this uh, big insurance company that he would go in and if the carpet was trash he would do these huge office buildings but in fact he was just doing home carpet cleanings and so he would really inflate his numbers and Barry at the time was the the youngest person to ever take a company public. He put it public, put it on Wall Street at age 19. He put his company on Wall Street. At one point, Barry was worth $100 million at age 20. It was all just a scam. You see, it was found out after a while that, you know, you can only keep the snowball going for so long where you keep recycling the funds. Someone's going to find out. And someone did, unfortunately. Barry's company shut down a year after he took the company public. It was pretty quick. And so the judge ordered him to serve 25 years in prison. He also ordered that he repay $26 million that he scammed investors out of. The rest of the story, Barry met Christ while in prison. Barry came to know Christ while he was there. And so he ended up getting out on good behavior after serving just seven and a half years. Barry now is the senior pastor at a church in San Diego called Community Bible Church, where he has a good-sized congregation, and he leads people every day to Christ. Barry doesn't shy away from his past either. Barry doesn't doesn't shy away from the fact that he's been to prison, that he cheated people out of money. Barry understands that he's been given a second chance in life. Sometimes, you can probably see it on YouTube if you want, he even wears his orange jumpsuit that he got in prison from the pulpit here, just to remind people that he is a sinner just like every single one of us are, and that he was given a second chance on life. I think Barry understands that that second chance was something he didn't deserve. That second chance was something that God offered him as a free gift. Redemption through Christ. Barry was saved. He was given a second chance. He was going down the wrong path. And now he can meet with the Father in heaven. I hope each one of you have have come to make that decision. Come to make the decision of accepting that second chance that God has given each and every one of you. If you have, I, I want to talk to you now. 
Before, I was talking to those people who haven't accepted this gift that's been offered to them. For those of you who have accepted this gift, let me talk to you for a minute. You see, in order for us to receive a second chance, we must be willing to give second chances to others. If you remember, I asked you to think about a time where you messed up to wish, if you wish you could take back a moment in your life, something you said, something you did. Now I want you to think about a person that did you wrong, a person that did something horrible to you, a person that said something horrible to you, that severed that relationship with you. I want you to think about if they're deserving of a second chance. Jesus tells a parable in the Bible. Jesus talks about a debtor. Let's say he owed a million dollars. This debtor owed this large amount of money. There was no way he could repay it. So the only thing he could think he could do was fall on his knees to the person he was supposed to repay and beg for mercy. Please, please, I, I can't repay you. Please forgive me of my debt that I owe to you. The man who he borrowed the money from forgave him. Forgave him. He said, I, I forgive you of your debt. You may go now. It's pretty amazing. A million dollars just to go away like that. This man whose debt was forgiven, who owed the million dollars, someone owed him a hundred dollars. Someone owed him just, you know, a hundred dollars. And that man couldn't even repay the hundred dollars. He went to the man whose debt was forgiven. And he said, please forgive me of my debt. Forgive me of this debt that I owe you, this hundred dollars that I owe you. The man said, no, I'm not going to forgive you. You owe me that money. And he sent him off into debtor's prison for that debt. Now, when the man who let the person borrow the million dollars found out about this, the man who forgave this large amount of debt found out, he brought the man into his house and he said, what are you doing? Don't you remember? I I just forgave you a million dollars dollars in debt and what are you doing you're letting this person go to prison over the small price the small debt that they owe to you the man said you will now have to repay me my debt because you could not forgive that man of your debt it's a powerful parable ladies and gentlemen we all owe a million dollars if you will We all owe God so much for all the sins that we have done in our lives. For all the sins that we have committed, we owe God an enormous debt, which God is willing to forgive each and every one of us of. But how is that possible if we can't forgive those who sin against us? Who sin maybe once, twice, three times? Does it actually amount to the thousands of times that we have sinned against God? I encourage each one of you, if there's, if there's someone in your life who's done you wrong, who you haven't given that second chance to, I encourage you to remember the second chance that you have been given, the second chance that each and every one of us has been given through Christ, who paid for our sins, who took our sins upon himself on that cross. And now we are able to have this gift of eternal life. I want to show the conclusion of, of this clip here. Of uh, this, this video is Les Miserables. That's my French accent. 
I want us to see what happens uh, to this story here. So let's go ahead and pick up. So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed (laughs) that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gino, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. Ladies and gentlemen, let us not forget that we ourselves have been redeemed. God has paid a price for us if we are willing to accept it. If you're willing to accept it, you've been given a free gift. You've been given a second chance in life. I pray that each and every one of you will accept it if you haven't already done so. For those of you who have, I pray that you will remember this second chance that you've been given. Pass it on. Give it to another person. Give them a second chance in life. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for letting us know more about this second chance that you've given us, God. God, thank you for helping us understand the great price that you paid of what we did not deserve. We did not deserve your grace. We did not deserve your free gift. We deserve death for the sins that we committed. Lord, we thank you earnestly for all that you have done for us by giving us this gift, Lord. Lord, we pray that we will keep in mind those that have done us wrong, that we will remember them and forgive them as you have forgiven us. These things we pray in your name. Amen.